To the fam, in the booth, you can't do what I can. Yeah, I live in the studio, man. In the summer or the winter, got a studio time. OMG, stay true to the fam. In the booth, you can't do what I can. Yeah, I live in the studio, man. In the summer or the winter, got a studio time. I've got a studio time. I've got a studio time. I've got a studio time. In the summer or the winter, got a studio time. I've got a studio time. Good afternoon, welcome to That's Your Opinion, Not Mine. My name is Chris, Tez is floating about over there, and we've got the legend that is Bill. We've got a great interview today, Bill. How are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good, thank you. Very oh, good. It's been great, I've been really looking forward to this interview, Bill, and this uh, experience. It's not just an interview, Bill. We've got we've got an absolute gift. You're going to do a couple of numbers for us. I am, yep, yep. We're going to start off with a song. That'd be great. One yeah. of your own. Yeah, what, yeah. what is it called? This song's called In Our Dreams in our dreams and uh, we can and we can talk about it before or after it's entirely up to you <laughs> let's get the song on let's get the song on okay. and then we can we can discuss it after so let's Brilliant. get that set up okay and then let's listen Great to this stuff.
Thank you. Big, big, big. Well, we're going to come back. We're going to have a chat about that song. Thank you. Just in a moment. We interrupt this program to bring you... We are going to interview the first ever person to try the hot sauce. He tried the hot sauce roughly around three or four hours ago. And we're going to interview him now because he's only just been able to communicate with us. So our friend, we're going to our friend Harvey. And he just tried the hot sauce over to Harvey. Harvey, did you like the sauce, mate? Did you taste the pineapple? We're going to have to call ambulance or some sort of... Some sort of uh, phys physician, some sort of m medical person. Okay, we've got problems. We're going to have to cut now. Um, like I say, fire in a tube hot sauce. Don't buy this. Just don't buy it. It's not safe. Okay. That was absolutely excellent. That was fantastic um, acoustic there. I really appreciate that. Tell us a little bit uh, about that song. Oh, it's um, the song's a few years old now. It's probably, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years old now. But um, it was written at a time when um, I was sort of... Uh, trying to make the transition from pretending or thinking that I was still going to be a rock star and just reflecting on life and everything. And, and um, the, the Thieves and the Beggars and Friends mentioned in it is um, basically kind of everyone you've come across in your life. And, and um, yeah, and it's just it just all kind of melds, in, melds or moulds into your dreams. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there's a bit, bit of a Spanish influence in there as well. I've got a, a bit of Spanish ancestry somewhere way up, way up the line. So, um, yeah, again, you know, kind of like a reflective song. And um, uh, the, again, the line, the youth has been washed with the tide. Um, you know, we're still kind of hanging on in there. Yeah, I can still do this, let's do this. But your youth's kind of ebbing away. And uh, you do eventually come to a realisation at a certain age where actually, you know, I'm not going to be a rock star and I need to start enjoying music and, you know, not focusing on all that. It's, um, uh, yeah, strange, strange period, but you kind of get there in the end, so. It's like an old boxer, you know, just one more fight, you know. Yeah, just, yeah, I, I can do it, I can still yeah, do it, I just it want... I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that ended up on an album um, that, that that I kind of self-released and, and um, it, it was one of those things where I did it and... and um, it was kind of like the it was it was like the boxer's last fight. That's a really good analogy because um, you know I did it and I thought right okay and and uh, you know I had a, a couple of well-known people who played things on it and I thought wow this is really going to do something and it fell flat on its face and it, it sort of I'm not going to say destroyed's probably a dramatic word but um, it kind of finished me off for a, for a little while. I didn't write songs for a couple of years and and but it's still out there and it's still online and I'm really proud of it and I'm sure we can put some links in somewhere in the, oh, yeah, the all comments the links, or something. So, all the links will be um, um, with all your music yeah so it's 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 still out there and I'm, I'm very proud of it that's the first track on 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 the self-released album uh, and um, now I look at everything that I do musically and, and and enjoy it with no 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 agenda about trying to get everything else out of it. and it's a lot more healthier than basically going from being a kid who wants to be a rock star to being a middle-aged man who kind of appreciates what appreciates what he does we're going to move on to the music in a bit yeah. but um i would like to start with um we go all the way back to the childhood yeah um, yeah can you tell us a little bit about your childhood how it all started and how well yeah i mean basically i i um i ended up in care i mean um you know obviously we met through you know men's mental health and stuff like that so um that is very relevant to it so yeah i lost um i lost my mum when i was uh, what f not barely six um you know went went into hospital for a routine operation and and never came back and um 
then um, you know various various things happened over the next sort of four years. You know, one of my older sisters cared for us, and then our dad took a decision to put put four of us in care. Uh, me and my three siblings in care, um, and that was from the age of um, sort of uh, nine ish um, until I was seventeen and basically left care. So I ended up in um, residential care and, and foster care from from sort of you know the age of nine how was the care system back then <laughs> you know i know it's a bit it's um it, it's an interesting one because um i mean obviously again something we can probably get to in a bit i i, I work within um fostering panels now and it's um something that i always sort of relate you know when i get asked is or, or you know told is that it was very it was very different there I, I i kind of introduced myself and say you know i was i was in care in the jurassic age or or, or the dark what i call the dark days of the 1970s cool. and 80s and uh, yeah you know it was it was it was, I'm, you know, I won't pull any punches. It was abusive. There were kind people there, but not all of them. And, and generally the kind people, the younger kind of people didn't tend to kind of hang around longer, very long. Um, so it was, uh, it was, it was pretty brutal sometimes. I mean, um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a bit of a sob story um, for most of my life, whereas now I'm, I'm much more comfortable talking about it. It doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. It doesn't upset me. I have time, I have times when I reflect um, when you say sorry, Bill, when you say sob story, what do you mean? Uh, okay, yeah, let me let me let me explain that. Yeah, basically, you know, going through your life and and various mental problems that you end up with through your life, you just go, oh yeah, it's because I had a crap childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, you you know, I had a crap childhood. That's why I behave the way I am. You know, and not necessarily try and do anything about it. And it it does become kind of your life sob story. Mm -hmm. um, whereas now, you know, people say to me, oh, that's awful, that's awful, and and it's lovely when people say that, but actually, and, and you know, it is, and people are generally empathetic and, and caring um, but you know it's, it's down to the individual to deal with it as well so yeah it was a you know it was a bit of a tale of woe to, to be honest but there are you know there's always people who've, who've had worse than you but um, yeah it wasn't great um, you know kind of long-winded answer to a short question it was um, not a great time to be in care yeah um, any ref uh, reforms to the care system you would like to, to see um, as a result of your time in care? Have you seen any reforms? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, again, through my work, I mean, uh, um, you, you know, they're, they're social workers and, and a anybody involved in the, you know, the TAC, you know, the team around care for the young people. Um, they're, they're much more on the ball with it now. I mean, sadly, things do slip. And obviously, we've seen some horrendous cases in recent times. Of, of you know little toddlers being well you know had unspeakable things done to them but I'd like to think that generally um, certainly within the care system it's improved I mean kids in residential places are kind of bit tougher now because they're the one that generally tend to be the ones that are sort of not unfosterable but they they they're in residential because they they kind of struggle being in a family environment I guess and maybe they they need that kind of institutionalized thing to sort of sort them out before they may be going to foster care um it, it's difficult you know I mean everybody's experience everybody's experiences are different mm -hmm. and every young person's got a different story and different experience and different background yeah for sure so. I want to speak about the fostering panel moving on to that yeah, because yeah. um you know it's it's great stuff what you do there can you tell us a bit about that yeah um I got involved with that well nearly 20 years ago now um uh, 
a friend of mine was a social worker and and um um, that's again just digressing slightly that's something that hasn't changed much is that young people's attitudes to social workers teenagers especially you do get a lot of them who just like you know social workers are you know, you know and I, I was a little bit like that uh, and this is relevant because I, I was in a in a band with a chap and he was a social worker and he rang me up one day and he said um he said Bill look you know I, I sit on these fostering panels and I said, right, what's that all about? And he said, you know, he said, well, you know what I do, don't you? I went, yeah, you're a social worker, you know. <laughs> Still got that that teenage a- attitude to social work. So this is 20 years ago now, nearly 20 years. And I said, yeah, you know, you're, I said, you're some sort of social worker. <laughs> and he said, yeah. And he said, look, I sit on these fostering panels. So basically what it is, is, is you have panels, like you have a, an, an adoption panel. Um, they The carers, um, to be approved as foster carers, they go through a process, quite a rigorous process um, to be approved approved um and then eventually they come in front of the panel um which is myself and various other professionals with various other you know varying degrees of excellent background and experience and um they get i was going to use the word grilled but no, not not grilled but you know we 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 read very in-depth reports um about their background as well and and we look at stuff and analyze stuff that may be relevant to how they're going to care for a ch- potential foster child and then we make a decision based on that. So we're kind of like, um, it's not rubber stamped by any means, but we're kind of like the last line of defence. Um, and you've got teachers, you've got social workers and myself, you know, who's what they class as a care leaver that's a, or, or ex-service user, which I hate, but that's kind of like my official title. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, then it goes to a, a kind of we recommend and then it goes to a final decision and and off they go to be to be foster carers. We also review carers who've already, um, you know, been carers for a year, a couple of years or whatever. That's actually a really a nice rewarding part of it sometimes because you see um, carers that you've maybe sat on their initial panels. I mean, I've been doing it so long that I see carers who've been there sort of seven, eight, ten years and come back and see the amazing work they've been doing. Um, so, um, yeah. So that that's it. Yeah, that, that that's what we do kind of in a nutshell. Have you ever considered fostering yourself? <laughs> that's the million dollar question. Yeah. I was talking about that the other you day. Knew that also, I bet you knew that was coming, uh, that question. Yeah, it's, it is the million dollar question. Straight answer is no. Um, I... Uh, um, and I think really the reasons for that are, um, I mean, I've got my, I've got grown up kids. My kids are great. They, they um, you know, they're not without various issues like any adult kids or whatever. Especially if you've had a parent who is in care. And um, I, I always, I, I do myself down a little, and I get told off for this. You know, saying, oh, you know, I was a bit of a rubbish parent because I never had the nurturing or the parenting myself, um, which I get told off for because my kids have kind of turned out all right so I must have done something right um but I never felt I never felt comfortable as a parent um and um you know I guess I guess because I never felt like a grown-up um because I was never allowed to grow grow up so it's all relevant all these little things kind of trickle through um and I just I don't think I could put that into foster care I'd love to be able to give young people that opportunity that either I didn't have um you know, and I, you know, I raise my kids, and and um, you know, it's not something I could do. And to be honest, I couldn't go through that process that we have to read and then sit in front of the panel. It's, it would be probably too rigorous for me. So, um, so the simple answer to that is no. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I had to ask, but yeah, that's, that's fair fine. enough. Um, okay, my moving, uh, moving in. So, sorry, moving into the music. How has this evolved into you? How did you first? When did you first realise you was interested in music? You wanted to be a rock star and you wanted to be in a band 
one one of my earliest well, my my earliest memories we had a piano in the house and and uh, I remember sitting at that piano and literally just just playing notes and and Frere Jacques or whatever it is you you sit and play when you're a kid and literally you know I would sit at the piano and think there was just something magical about the noise that came out of that piano um I found out years later that I've got a lot of musical heritage which I didn't know at the time which I'll maybe get to in in a minute but so my earliest memories and there was always music in the house I had four older sisters and um you know, there was various bits of music that used to get played. I remember things from the 60s, Simon and Garfunkel and Andy Williams and stuff like that. And my, my dad used to sit, so he, was, he was quite strict, our dad, and we used to sit down on a Sunday lunchtime and we weren't allowed to talk, but we had music on and it was always classical, generally always classical music. So, I, you know, so b- before I was even maybe, you know, four or five, I, I'd, I'd listen to Strauss, Andy Williams, Simon and Garfunkel. And then um, I think the, the line light bulb moment for me was um we were around some family friends house they had a record player and i put on paperback writer by the beatles and it came on and it was paperback writer and then george harrison and i just listened to that guitar and it was like i don't care what that is or how you make that noise i want to make it one day mm. i want to make that noise one day um i've never still not been quite close to it but so then i discovered the beatles and and um you know i wasn't quite old enough to appreciate them um at that time till later so basically that kind of went on so that just it just became a little bit ingrained and then um one of my earliest memories also was i made a cardboard guitar and i had some wool and I got some glue or sellotape or whatever it was and, and made strings and cut this guitar out. And I remember, I don't know what I was doing, whether I was jumping up and down to some music or or listen, or just, you know, but I remember getting told off and I'm sure I probably get be- got beaten or something for jumping up and down in the night with this cardboard guitar, pretending to be whatever I was pretending to be. So that's another early, so something had gone in there. And and so moving moving later on, so that kind of, kind of sat there and I've just always been into music. I love music. I've got a really, you know, eclectic taste in music um, even now. And um, so that kind of went on. And then in, into my teenage years, you know, I, I was doing a little disco with a, with a friend of mine, um, Martin Bass. I give him a mention if he ends up watching this. And I just lo- I loved all the 70s disco. Before that, my brother had been bringing, bringing home uh, uh, Slade records and T-Rex records and stuff like that in the 70s. So music just became a massive thing. Um, and I did the little disco with my friend Martin. And then... I just decided I wanted to play the guitar. So by this time, I'm 14, 15, and life's tough. You know, I've been in care for a little while, and, and it was it was a release, you know, so I learned a few chords. And then I'd go out with this awful punk band, but I'd just, I'd, I'd just lose myself in it. So, and then it, so basically, it became an escape. Um, and it's kind of been like that ever since, really, he, he, up to this very day, sitting there playing that tune. I lose myself. I still lose myself in it. Yeah, that's fantastic, Bill. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a good experience, um, you know, growing up through the care system um, and like your escapism um, f- through music. Through yeah, music. It really was. Yeah, the music music sort of became the escape. So, um, what are you currently doing regarding music in the band? Because I know, obviously covid here and it messed everything up for a lot of people so 
what you're doing right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of jump back a little while to, to bring you forward again. Um, after, because it ties in with what I was saying earlier about doing the album and everything. After that, I'd re, re, you know, I stopped. I stopped writing um, and everything. And after a couple of years, I thought I need to do something I'm just going to enjoy. Just do music for the sheer joy of, of playing the guitar or performing or whatever. And I joined, uh, I joined an 80s band, an 80s cover band with some friends of mine. Um, and I wasn't the lead singer. I'd always been the lead singer in all my bands and everything. I wasn't the lead singer. I kind of stood at the side, played the guitar. And it was great. And it kind of got me back into enjoying the music again. That went on for um, probably up until about um, 2011. I'm going to burp, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that went up, went up until about um, 2011, and then um, I got into uh, into another 80s band with some um, friends of mine in, in 2014 um, called Hyperactive, and that we worked really hard, um, and that's been ongoing for for well, we would have been in our seventh year now, I think. Um, obviously, COVID struck that dead like it did for everybody, um, and um, in in you know that changing things happen with the band in in during the lockdown and everything we've, we've sort of come back and all the bands are coming back now and it's um you know things have changed for us so we can't do it in the way we used to and to be fair nor would i want to i've been playing i mean i did end up as a, a professional musician for 25 years as well i earned a living from it i traveled you know traveled the world doing it i neglected to mention that bit um so despite wanting to be a rock star i ended up actually earning a good living from it for for about 25 years you know um i worked it that, like that that was brilliant actually um but it was it was a necessity because it was all i knew um, I started playing professionally in 1986 in, in duos, in a, in a duo, um, and then got in various bands, then ended up going away on cruises, um, and then ended up, um, you know, working on boats. Um, and this was all playing. I ended up in the Middle East on and off for a year, um, playing over there in, in a duo. And um, But it was it was to feed my family, because it's all I did. I didn't do anything else um, until probably, you know, sort of the late 90s, when I, I sort of got some other skills. I started doing graphic design and stuff like that. But um, So I earned a good living from it. But now um, I don't need to do it for, for the money, which is great. Um, and so to bring it bang up to date now, I'm literally just just write. I just write stuff for the, for pleasure of it. Um, I've got my my albums that sit there out there out there on the internet. I've probably got another album's worth of stuff sitting there, kind of ready to go that that I need to kind of finish. Um, with, that I've collaborated on a producer friend of mine with. Um, so I've got lots going on, but it literally is now for for the joy of doing it and for the joy of eventually, you know, putting something out there and somebody saying, you know, I don't need my ego. I used to need my ego massaging, um, which I think um, I think it was Bono that said, you know, if we didn't have an ego, we wouldn't do this. Um, and I, you know, I know Bono's a bit marmite with people, but it's it's a very good point. And you know, even with the eighties band, you know, um, I like to put on a show. Um, and and the, it, people seem to respond to it, um, but I don't need I don't need to do it. I don't need to you know have the ego massaged anymore. Um, you know, it's it's nice when people appreciate what you're doing, and I it gives me pleasure to see people getting pleasure from what I do and being able to you know use my talents to do that. Um, so I feel you know very blessed to be able to do that, and I never appreciated it. You know, there are great advantages to getting older and being a, still being an entertaining musician because you can 
you know, you can appreciate what you do better and appreciate how other people appreciate it rather than what you're trying to get out of it all the time. No, that's a great that's a great look on it, a great spin, um, great outlook. Um, got a couple of random questions for you, okay. Bill, because we like to throw some oh, random okay. questions in. Okay. Um, what's one of the dumbest things you've ever done? Um, wow, that's uh, one of the dumbest things. We well, always do get this reaction. Yeah, yeah. One of the dumbest things I've ever... And do you know what, actually, the, the, the weirdest thing, actually, was, was yesterday, was going out walking in that that awful weather we had. That was pretty dumb. Um, but there was no buses running, and I wanted to go for a walk. That was pretty dumb. Um, oh, I don't know. I've probably done lots of dumb things. Um, but the one that jumps into my head instantly um, was was shoplifting when I was when I was in care. Um, it it wasn't particularly bad, um, and I got you know it was back in the days when if you took something silly and little from a shop, you would get taken to the police station you know and and um, nowadays you know you'll get a tap on the wrist from the store detective your parents will come and get you and off you go i had uh, and again this is very relevant to the the care system and how things were at the time um we used to me and my mates used to record records we used to record the vinyl records onto cassette then we would go into boots and nick the covers we'd pinch the covers and put put them in the cassette boxes that was it I had an afternoon in, in a cell for that, and then I got hauled up in front of one of the commissioners and got an absolute roasting um, uh, for, for, you know, for stealing. And uh, wow, if you're ever going to learn a lesson as a kid, I think I was, I don't know how old I was, 14, 15 maybe, maybe. that was pretty dumb. Um, I've, I've jumped off a few things and, and uh, drinking and driving, that's a, that's a really dumb thing, properly drinking and driving, that's, that's pretty dumb. Yeah, I'm sure there's loads more, but I can't think. You really put me on the spot there, and I can't. Yeah, well, you know, there's more questions coming now. Just bear with me. A good old five finger discount. Love right? it. Love it. Um, okay, so if you could be a 1950s gangster, what kind of gangster, and who would it be? A 1950s gangster, Bill. What oh, one would you be? Wow, that's whoa. Um, I'd be 1950s. Mm-hmm. I didn't know they had gangsters in the 1950s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Al Capone. Um, I'd probably be, I'd probably be a nice gangster. I'd probably be too, I'd be too nice, you know. I'd like having the gun and and all that sort of stuff. Um, no bullets. Uh, uh, no bullets. I, I'd have bullets in it, but I don't think I could ever shoot. I don't, I don't think I could ever shoot anybody. I'm too one. I'm too scared and too nice. I think I'd just be a kind of nice, nice gangster. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, I'd probably be just a, a kind of nice gangster who tried not to get into too much trouble, but pretended he was a bit of a big. <laughs> <laughs> I know a few people like that today. Talk, anyway. talk the talk, but yeah. not be able to walk the God, walk. Okay, basically. fair enough. <laughs> so, um, who is your influences, musical influences, or other influences growing up um i think um without a doubt um the beatles have to come into it although like i said i didn't really kind of hear that so much um so okay so my brother was coming as same i'd an older brother who's two years older than me and 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 um he would be coming home with with wizard records and all this all the stuff that was out in the 70s um and um but when i started getting influenced actually as i guess as a player um, my my big influences straight away were the Stranglers. I was into punk. I loved the Sex Pistols. Again, that was a bit of a light bulb moment when I first heard you know the guitars 
on the Sex Pistols, you know, it's just like, wow, that's an amazing guitar sound. And I think when you're, you're also an angry young man as well, they hit the right spot at the right time with so many kids with that band. The Stranglers, they were the first band I ever went to see. Um, and they, they were a little bit more refined. And Hugh Cornwall, the, the singer and the guitarist, he was a big influence. And I loved his guitar as well. Uh, and then you kind of go forward and, and you've got... Um, uh, then I started listening to, got introduced to, I had lots of school friends who had big brothers and, you know, then we'd get all the rock stuff, Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and, and all that. And I just, I listened to all of it. So by the time, by the time we got to the early eighties, you know, I'd, I'd been listening to all the rock stuff from the seventies, all the glam rock stuff. Um, and then the eighties stuff come along. I became a massive Gary Newman fan. All the, the I'm glad you said Gary Newman. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, who I'm going to see again this year, 41 years after I first saw him you know still going uh, with the with the same schoolmates as well strangely enough so all that came along as well um so you know i was listening to to, to, to newman pink floyd um and then some as the 80s went on maybe some of the uh, some of the later 80s rock bands the 90s wasn't great for me there were, there were uh, it didn't jump out at me the way the way that the sort of late 70s and early 80s did um but i think influences wise i'd have to cite um the beatles pink floyd Tears for Fears um, and The Stranglers. They're probably the biggest ones. I've probably forgotten one, but... Um, and I've got some kind of modern ones as well. I was going to ask you, what do you think about modern day? Well, I, I don't listen to the radio um, because I just don't. I, I don't. It's a, it's the same stuff. I don't really like DJs, and I'm not a fan of DJs. Um, and what I've found now um, is that... And it's sad, really, because a lot of really good stuff doesn't get onto the radios. But with the advent of the internet and the way it is now, there's so many good bands out there. And you kind of have to just go and look look for it and discover it. Um, you know, um, I was saying about eclectic taste. I mean, I listen, I also love, you know, kind of like Ibiza, kind of chilled house and stuff like that. And there's a couple of... Um, uh, internet stations that I listen to and I'll sit there and, and just have it on and then all of a sudden something will pop up and I'll go wow and I'll quickly get out and write it down then go and find out who it is and I've discovered two or three different bands from all over the world that I, li that I listen to regularly that people wouldn't even have heard of um, I think the I think the most kind of popular I'm not even going to say mainstream uh, that I'm into at the moment is a guy called Stephen Wilson um who's been around for a long while now, but he was in a, a, he's mainly known for being in a kind of prog rock band called Porcupine Tree. Um, and I discovered him very late, very, you know, very late in the day, probably th three or four years ago. And, you know, it, it found out he had a massive back catalogue. So I'm still kind of working my way through that. So he's kind of a big influence on, you know, what I do and I listen and what I listen to. But um, yeah, and Tears for Fears have got some new stuff coming out as well. So some of these old guys, you know, still making original music, not necessarily going out on the, the kind of retro tours, which is something I'm just not into, you know. Um, you know, Tears for Fears have just bought a, a, an absolutely belting new single out, which is as good as anything they did in the 80s. But it will get marketed and presented in a different way. It's, it's, it's very different. So I'm not... Um, I'm not a fan of um, a lot of the modern music and the, the, just this constant battering of auto-tune um, yes. on everything now, you know. Um, I think every every kind of music's got its merit. I don't. I try not to slag anything off. Mm. If I hear something and don't like it, I won't go, oh, that's 
fucking awful. I just just won't listen to it. Let somebody else who likes it listen to it. You know, become much more objective and less less critical now. I think. If you could collab with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Wow, um, it's really interesting actually because I've been very lucky to have been able to do that. Um, now, one of the people I didn't mention um, is a guy who was around in the early eighties called Thomas Dolby. Um, and he had a, a, a couple of big hits in the 80s and he's now, um, he then got into uh, tech in the 80s and 90s and, and um, I've been lucky enough to meet him and I did, I did went through a phase of doing what I call guerrilla mixes. So I would take someone's track and I would just kind of do my own mix of it and stuff. And, and I did a mix of, of one of Thomas Dolby's tracks. Now he was a he he'd been a hero of mine for years, musical hero of mine for years. And um, I, I did a gorilla mix of one of his tracks. And, and instead of kind of, you know, finding him through the usual channels, um, I, I, I sort of knew, I knew roughly where he lived in Suffolk. And I knew that he'd made an album on a lifeboat that he put in his garden. So I did this track and I put it in an SD card, shoved it in a, in a card um, of, I think it was Ramsgate or something, wrote him a handwritten note saying, you know, hope you like this. You know, it's a present, no agenda, no nothing, just remixed a track by one of my heroes. And I put it, you know, to the name of his lifeboat um, in the village that he lived in, stuck it in the post and forgot about it. Six months later, I got an email from him. Hi, Bill, I've just got round to listening to your mix of my track and it's epic. And my life was complete. Um, massive hero of my side. And then I ended up in a situation where there was a, a, a the, the chap who played the piano on it, a guy called Doug Hammer, um, who, who lives in America as well. So it was a kind of three-way collab with 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 this Doug Hammer, who's an amazing piano player I've, who, who played on the Sea Fever track that I did um, before Christmas. Um, and Thomas Dolby. So it was, was a bit of a collab there. Um, so I was really lucky with that one. Somebody who I haven't, who I'd love to... I think it would have to be uh, either of the guys from Tears for Fears or both of them. That's a simple one. <laughs> Fair enough. That's that's interesting. Um, what's your music guilty pleasure, Bill? Everyone's got one. What's um, your my guilty pleasure is um, um, Bossa Nova. Okay. I absolutely love Bossa Nova. Um, um, uh, Carlos Jobim and stuff like that, you know, um, Girl from Ipanema, that, that, that's probably the most famous, one of the most famous Bossa Nova tunes. I love it. I would love to be out of Salsa and have never been brave enough to do it. Um, never, no, never too late, Bill. I know. I've got, I don't know. I've got, I mean, I've got rhythm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a musician. I've been playing for years. I know I've got rhythm, but I seem to have two left feet. You dance like I'm a constipated boxer. I'm not a great, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I don't think I'm a great dancer. I know I've got rhythm, but I'm not, certainly not a great dancer. Yeah, Guilty Pleasure, Bossa Nova or, or Swing. I love Swing, any of the Rat Pack stuff, Frank Sinatra and uh, all, all that sort of stuff. And, and um, you know, I very occasionally when I do karaoke, I will sing, um, you know, people say, oh, you know, do you do an 80, 80s tune? Or no, 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 no. My, my guilty pleasure um, karaoke song is Copacabana by Barry Manilow. Wow. <laughs> I did say, I've used the word eclectic a couple of times now. So uh, there Why you are you go. laughing, Ted? She's cracking up over there. <laughs> Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> that's quality her name was Lola yep yeah, yeah. yeah. quality lovely yeah. fantastic um, 
Yeah, we're bringing it to the end of the interview near enough, Bill. Um, so where can we find your music? Um, and we will put the links in the description below. Yeah, so I've got um, the, the album that I was referring to earlier. I did it under an alias um, of Jimmy Bone. J, it's Jimmy with an I-E, not a Y. Jimmy Bone, um, who was... Uh, he was a character in in a, a mythical character in some in books I grew up with when I was younger, where I used to live, uh, and I took his name as a as a you know a band alias. Why did you do that, Bill? Can I ask? Um, because I was never confident enough to go out under my own name, right. which is what I do now. And I know you you, you touched on this earlier. Um, I w I do go out as Bill Odell, you know, making music now. Um, again, it's just just hiding behind not being brave enough to use my own name again maybe a lack of confidence thing which goes back years from being you know the, the, the insecure kid all that sort of stuff so so it became Jimmy Bone was a band even though it wasn't a person but then it, it got a bit silly and people st even my brother started calling me Jimmy for a little while it, it got a bit <laughs> a bit weird so that that's um, that's that's available on uh, that's still on iTunes as far as well, Apple Music or whatever it is now um, it's on it's on Amazon Spotify all the, all the various places um, and I do have um, I, I put a like a uh, three-track um, single um, on out a couple of years. I think it was 2020, just probably just before lockdown or around lockdown, under my own name, um, and uh, that's called Fly, which which is the song I'm going to play um, shortly. Um, and that's that's on Am you can find that on Amazon. Um, and uh, again, all the outlets. In fact, I was really pleased the other day to find that you can. It's actually on TikTok as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I did. I did a TikTok the other day, and uh, wow. my, my first TikTok, totally unrelated to music. Actually, lighthouses. Maybe that's something we could talk about another day. My obsession with lighthouses. Go on, let's talk about it now. Well, well okay. Um, I, 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 I'm obsessed with lighthouses. I love lighthouses. I. Um, Again, it's a childhood thing. When I was a kid, I could just about see, I lived down on the, the south coast and there was a lighthouse that I could see from my bedroom window. There's something, it's sad now because they don't go round anymore. They just flash. They've all got LEDs now and they're all centrally con controlled by Trinity House on computer. But in the old days, they would go round and there was something really haunting about a lighthouse beam going round. Mm. And, but also something... They're, they're beacons of hope they're, they're beacons they're beacons of light beacons of hope and it's become a real um, a real kind of metaphor for me now for, for my life and just trying to be hopeful and I basically just started going around visiting them now so um, and I've, I've gone gone to quite a few now I've been to you know I went all the way to Portugal um, a couple of years ago because I found a lighthouse in an island off Faro wow. and, and, and flew out there found the lighthouse found the locals boat went out there and, and found this lighthouse and it was you know yeah I, I it's just you know some people like trains some people like aeroplanes I, I like lighthouses They're, but but they signify hope I think that's the, the, the positive they signify hope and light does it signify a good memory like when you it does younger? actually it's a it's a secure it's the, yeah. they, they make me they, they give me a bit of security they they I I feel um I get kind of warm and fuzzy when I'm with a lighthouse. <laughs> and people say, oh, do, you, do you go up them all the time? And Well, no, because a lot of them you can't go in now anyway. But um, they, they, 
yeah, they just they they make they make me feel they do something to my heart. They make me feel okay, you know. Make me feel, everything's all right with the world. That's that's been standing for hundreds of years, or you know, some of them are you know hundred couple of hundred years old. That's been standing there, giving out that light for all that time for all those people, you know. And it, it's um, I think it's, it's quite significant. So there's a deep you know rather than just being obsessed and looking at them going oh that's a lovely lighthouse. Mm-hmm. There's a there, there's a deeper significance to it, you know. I'm turning into an old hippie as well as I think as I get. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's uh, fascinating. That's really interesting, Bill, to yeah. be fair. So I'm glad we actually spoke about that, to yeah. be fair. That's really, I've forgotten about that. Actually. That's yeah, interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> I do tend to draw things out of people uh, for some strange reason, but that's uh, really good and positive. Yeah. Um, what's next for Bill? What's next for you? Bill? Oh, what's, what's next for Bill? Well, I've, I've become, you know, um, lockdown has kind of done me a favour in a way because um, all the fostering panel meetings um, went online as so many things did onto Teams or Zoom or whatever. And... It became, you know, first of all, it was, it was, ah, you know, we're missing the face to face. We're missing the interaction with the carers and sitting with a group. And when it sort of became the norm, um, the company that I do most of my work for decided to keep it online. Um, So they've got lots of regions around the UK. So I I took myself to some of the other regions and offered my services and, and, and it's pretty much become my job now. Um, And because I've sort of grown into it as well, and I feel more confident um, as a, you know, kind of ex-kid in care. Um, I, I love, you know, I love that work. It's brilliant. It's really rewarding. So so basically more of that, lots of that, and basically as much music and, and you know, kind of video, putting together videos to go with that music as I can, really. More importantly than anything, I've got, I've got kids, grandkids, and, you know, spending time with the family. I've got the best friends a man could ever wish for um, and, and spending time with them. And um, just, you know, keep, self-analyzing and keep reflecting and and you know dealing with the stuff that i've had in my past and not being defined by it and um ultimately being happy um it's taken most of my life to do but i'm getting there so um yeah like you know life's life's shaping up all right at the moment it's fantastic well you're going to play us out um in a moment i'm just going to do the outro and then we're going to what we playing out with bill this is this is a song called fly again most of my most songwriting is 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 both um sort of metaphorical and semi-autobiographical god blimey that's a that's impressive um and this is it's 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 kind of simple really but um there's you know there is a deeper meaning and also i think people read into songs i hear people a lot say you know what's this song about and and you say well actually different songs mean different things to different people they can read what they want into it but the basic basic crux of it is is you know when you you get on that airplane and i love flying you know i love traveling to places and um you get on that airplane and you're in a you know the rain's coming down and you you take off and then you've got that bit where you're in the clouds and then all of a sudden you're above the clouds and it doesn't matter where you are in the world you're above the weather the sun starts shining all your troubles are down below and you think no one can touch me up here and just for a moment just for a little while all is kind of good with the world if you've got problems your problems get left behind and then you come back down sometimes you come back down with a bang sometimes you come back down with a soft landing so again that's a metaphor for you know what maybe what's going on in your life and and, um quite simply spread your wings you know don't try not to live a life that you're not happy with um with people that you don't want to be with whether they're friends partners whatever um um spread out your wings and fly 
Wonderful, Bill. Thanks for coming down today. It's, it's been, been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you, Tess. Thanks, Tess. Yeah, she's there. We'll do the outro. <laughs> so, yeah, you've been um, watching. Great interview with Bill. He's going to play us out with Fly. Um, you've been watching That's Your Opinion, Not Mine, with Chris and Tess and Bill today. We're going to be back next week at some point with something probably completely random. Who knows what we're going to do from one week to the next? Who knows? So, until then, it's a goodbye from me. Thank you. Goodbye from me. And we're going to play out with Bill with this wonderful song, Fly. So, Bill, take it away. Okay. Once in a while, I see people rushing by. Sometimes they smile, and sometimes they make me cry. All of those places from far away, places can lie. With all my resolve, I resist the temptation to fly. Away from the ground, with your trust.
Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Studio time. I've got a 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 studio time